we encourage all our community gardens to take a, an organic approach to growing? We don't want to be in a position to demand that. We just provide some workshops and some learning opportunities for people to take that pathway, if you wish. Not all people do. Some community gardens actually do some spraying, which we're not very happy about. And we make them aware of the fact that what they might be doing damage to not only to the land, but also to personal health. Yes. But we do have some gardens that are... We have one Papatunuku Marae Garden in Mangari, which is affiliated with the Maori Organic Certification Scheme. And many of the other gardens follow an organic certification guideline in terms of actually applications. That's encouraging. And most people are not aligned anymore to, you know, the spray regime, the industrial model of horticulture, agriculture. You know, they want to want to be pure, they want to be fresh, and they want natural food to come out of the ground. This is Bruce Lipton, and you're listening to Planet FM. Kia ora, greetings, and welcome to Planet FM 104.6. I'm Tim Lynch, and I trust that you are doing well. I invite you to stay with me over the next hour as we discuss and find ways to take care of our unique and magnificent green planet Earth. In the studio this morning, I have Richard Main, and Richard, for the last 10 years, has been working for the Manukau Health Board in tandem with Diabetes for Health. Diabetes Projects Trust. So the initiative is called Gardens for Health. Okay, I'm glad for that. Excellent. <laughs> we got it right. Yeah, we got it right. Gardens for Health initiative for the umbrella of the Diabetes Projects Trust. Correct. Okay. Richard, we've spoken three times. This is the third time because what's happened in the Auckland area since you have come into the picture that 10 years ago is that 75 community gardens have been put in by you and your staff, but there's also another 25-odd gardens. Tell us about the magic of how you've got people to cooperate, work together, get the land, get a certain amount of funding. Can you quickly tell us about the start and then we want to get into what the present picture is and your long-term vision? It's certainly a labour of love for me personally uh, and my team of uh, two facilitators. We have worked very earnestly for the last 10 years to support communities who want to grow food and settings uh, together. So that's been the key thing for us and it's increasing all the time. There are issues and the Lots of successes, <laughs> yes. uh, of course, but it's uh, a delight to be doing what we're doing. It's very rewarding, and we're connecting with the huge diversity that is the Auckland population. The ethnic diversity of Auckland is, is engaging in this community garden action on a regular basis. A lot of fun, a lot of fun. It has to be fun, otherwise, <laughs> why would we want to be doing it? I agree, I agree. Yeah, Richard, I think just being in a garden context... And seeing the magic of soil, seeds, and then plants bursting through the surface. And then finally, the so-called end products, healthy produce, healthy harvest, green or healthy yellow or healthy red or 
or whatever bursting from these plants. And ultimately healthy people rise from the ground. So we are seeing, on what I use the catchphrase, sowing the seed for change within our communities. And the community gardens are now becoming hubs, just like libraries and museums. You know, they're that important or becoming that important. But they need more support. Most of the network is run by volunteers. There are not many people who are in paid or paid positions. You know, funding is adequate at the moment, but if we want to grow, we need to secure more funding. We need more research done on what we're doing to support it. And we need more people to commit. So what we find is actually young mums, particularly with babies, young children are the ones who are actually moving into this area and they're actually conscious of good food, good kai for their children and they're often the ones that are the instigators in making that move to community garden involvement, engagement. Yeah, that's interesting having the young mums because no doubt they will also (coughs) most probably take a few seedlings back and have them on their back doorstep as well solely to know that they can walk out and in five seconds pick something for the for the pot. Well, our brief is not just to support community gardens. That we do with our small sort of support base and raft of the support package, but ultimately our goal is to encourage people to grow food in the home environment as well. We can't go home to home, door to door. <laughs> we can support them in the community, but I think at the last count in January, we had 2,400 people growing food in community settings and 75 community settings that's the network that we support here in Auckland and we have around 650 people who are growing food in home gardens they're doing both which is really good now this initiative recently came out of the Manukau District Health Board it was a, a gov- was a governmental there was someone up there who was visionary enough to say, we're going to run with this. It was actually an initiative that came out of the Labour government at the time, back in about 1997-98. And under, it was taken on board by Let's Be Diabetes initiative out of County's Manukau District Health Board. So I came on board at the beginning of 1999, so 10 years it is now. And we started this initiative, particularly in South Auckland, but we expanded through the three district health boards of Auckland, with funding from uh, Auckland Council and also our primary funder has been the Ministry of Health. Seeing this as a preventative measure to reduce the incidence of diabetes and obesity in our population by encouraging people to get active, to grow food or to learn to grow food and take that to the table to nurture families uh, and communities and neighbourhoods. I interviewed Sue Kedgley when she was the head spokesperson on health for the Green Party in Parliament. But she was also the chair of the Parliamentary Health Committee. And what she did, she oversaw every aspect of health going through the government. And they've got a gigantic, I don't know, they've got 16 billion for 5 million people going out in health in New Zealand. And a lot of that money is to, like the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. And I told her, I said, look, I hear that There are so many people in their late 40s, 50s and 60s who are suffering from obesity, heart problems and diabetes who are taking up hospital beds right across the country and they're just lying in bed and they're taking so much out of the health system, we're going to crash it. And she said, yeah, I know. I said, you know? And she said, oh, yes. I said, well, 
does the government know? She said, oh, yes. I said, the health department know? She said, they certainly do. And I said, right, what are they going to do about it? And she said, nothing. They're not going to do anything about it. However, where you are at the moment, there is some people in the higher echelons of health who are wanting to encourage people to get the best food, the best kai into their body. True. So we support the population that are afflicted with lifestyle diseases, but we're also keenly aware that we want to encourage people to avoid these lifestyle diseases by engaging in community gardening or home gardening. So it's been a really interesting journey of 10 years so far, and we're confident that the future is bright. There are a lot of potentials for this initiative to to grow, but we do have some constraints at this point in time. Can you tell the listeners of the potentials? We'll have a good stuff first, and then some of the challenges that you meet, and I can understand land is a big one, but some of the real bright stories, because we are in need of hearing the positive aspects of community coming together and also just growing food, using your hands to make the soil produce food. It's a transmutation from minerals into some food that is tasty. We trust nutrient-dense, is organic, and if it's fruit in particular, it's sweet and juicy. Well, I'd just uh, like to start off, Tim, by just relating the experience this morning just I had a phone call I phoned a lady over in Pam Muir the Tonga lady and I visited her in her husband's garden just a couple of weeks ago and just a fabulous example of Pacific plantation farming at the back of the Housing New Zealand Estate house you know taro huge taro growing they're growing Tongan yams and uh, cassava and a whole lot of other crops just fabulous and they were saying well, Richard, you know, we, we were looking for another place we need to need to grow. We have a population of 80 Tongans and Samoans as part of our network, including a church network. Can you help us with some space anywhere in South Auckland or East Auckland? And I said, well, I've got a couple of options. I'll explore those with you. But it's just a, an example of just a connection with a connection within our broad network of over 200 different entities that are connected with this Garden Child Initiative. And so I'm on the march now to try and find a place where these people can grow food on quite a large scale. And that's one of the big issues in Auckland at the moment is much of the green space has been gobbled up. Sometimes parks and reserves are not ideal because they have been formerly uh, dumps, you know, and there's contamination under the surface, so that's often a big issue. So the only option there you've got is to build above the ground. But does this relate another experience, if I can, Tim, working with the Muslim community, and uh, this is the New Zealand Asset Women's Trust in Mount Roscoe, we have a small kitchen garden. So the ladies come down and they work the garden and they're all dressed in their brilliant colours, you know, with their hijab on and so forth. And I've worked with this population for the last five or six years and I have a great deal of respect for them, as they do for me. And, you know, I have their good understanding with them and to the point where they feel comfortable with my presence. You know, being a male with a Muslim woman, there's a tendency to or a need to have another male from their side with them. 
but they're happy with working alongside me, and we have a lot of fun fun in the garden. And my revelation is that they are incredibly vocal and free with their expression once you get to know them, you know. Yes. So, and that only happens because they have confidence in you, and also because of the setting that we're providing. You know, the garden setting is a, a neutral one, and they feel comfortable. And the key thing is that, Tim, they're growing their cultural foods. So they're growing white maize, not for, not to eat, but to pound to make bread. They're growing African gourds, which are traditionally a vessel which you use to carry water. And so that connection with back home in Somalia or Rwandai or Eritrea, they've come here as refugees. That connection back to the land is actually very powerful for them. And, you know, often enough, in the initial years they've been here in Auckland or somewhere in New Zealand, they haven't had that opportunity to grow food, but to grow their cultural food or to start to reconnect back to the land, it's a really important way for them to actually feel that they are New Zealanders, they are us. Yes, fascinating. And the fact that you can hang out now, do you sometimes work with them barefooted or do you because of regulations have to wear boots I often get barefoot and we know that bacteria on the hands are very very important for building our immune system and also there's another energy that transpires sure I personally in my home garden I'll work my garden in bare feet but in my home patch of the community garden and roll out but in terms of my role as a project manager and engaging in community gardens, we generally wear the appropriate footwear. We actually have a very strong code of conduct and safety guidelines, which we have actually generated and has been not necessarily endorsed by ACC, but we did put it to them about what, what we were doing and they, they were very accepting of the, the brief that we put out. So we've shared that with a lot of our community gardens. So... Yes, uh, I do love to be barefoot and make that connection because there is this spiritual connection, this energy that is radiating and circulating all the time. So the more you can actually connect, I know walking on grass is actually one of my favourites. You know, the, the whole essence of actually the energy that's coming up through the grass into your soles of your feet, right up through your body is really powerful. It is, I know. Man. It's just me personally, yes. I'm the same, exactly the same. Mm. And particularly after dew in the morning as well, and the nice wet grass, just walking barefoot through, that's quite a lovely, lovely feeling. And we've just had some rain over the last week, mm. and I was outside, and I could just feel around me. And I talked to people, can you feel it? Can you feel it? The sun was beating down, there was a blue sky, the soil was nice and damp. And you can feel the energy, what you say. So it's not only refreshing the soles of your feet, it's refreshing your mind. Yep. So your mind, body and soul as one. Correct, yeah. Mm. Well, this is a holistic side of things, Richard, and I'd like you to maybe just talk a little bit about this because our mayor recently used the word holistic and uh, my ears pricked up and I'm naturally waiting for this holistic vibration to come down through the council mm. and, and be embraced throughout all of Auckland but holism and holistic ways of health also relate to just how we relate to the community and getting back again to the garden. My sense is that we on this planet we have worked against nature for centuries 
my sense is that we we are more closely working with nature now. But we need to go further. We need to work within nature. So that's what drives me pretty much. And you know, my experiences in the garden and working with the community on a daily basis, I have inspiration from not only people but also from the land, from Mother Nature and what it, the vibrations that are coming off the land. So. I think, for me, this is my calling, in a sense. And if I may, Tim, I'll just, just write a little experience back of the Unitech days. So, I was the, thinking that just then. The Unitech garden is now, well, has for the last 10 years been a community garden. But before that, back in 1999, Brendan Hawaii, as the designer and myself as the sort of instigator, we initiated a, an organic garden called the Unitech Horticology Sanctuary. A learning living laboratory for our students. A sanctuary. A sanctuary. So it still retains the word sanctuary. It's now called Sanctuary Mahi Whenua. And it's been saved from the developers late last year by Jacinda Ardern. Oh, good. Yes. But just going back to just over 11 years ago, on a particular day in autumn, I was working one of the rotation blocks and I unearthed some Maori answers that came up <laughs> out of the ground and like they were, it was almost like I was meant to receive them and it transpired that we had them identified and some of them were um, green stones some of them were from stones from wow. up in Northland which were specifically cut to use as digging implements like a coe? yes so, uh, we had Kaumata assess them and they said they gave them back to me and to Brendan to care for them because given that we were the ones that had secured them from the soil. And then at that time they were building the Marae at Unitech. And a Marae is a meeting house. Yes. And in that Marae they decided that the key greenstone digging implement would be embedded in the floor of the Marae up the head of the Marae. So there it is today for all to see. But just backtracking a little to that time when I found these implements. It was just over a... I think it was just push-hoeing, preparing some soil. Four or five of these uh, pieces came forward to, for me to receive. Now, Tim, what actually happened was I was struck by an incredible vision in my head. I saw a Maori lady with a moko turning her head to look towards me and with a smile on her face, as if to say... It was timely for these pieces to be received by you and for you to be in a position to deliver or deal with them in whatever way you felt appropriate. So that was a bit of a blessing and a quite a unique experience. So I, I have related that sort of spiritual experience, that connection with somebody who had been working on the land possibly some hundreds of years ago. Because the Unitech land was from the mountain down right down to the Miola Reef, out to the Wanamata Harbour, was intensively cultivated. So that was a pretty unique experience. Yeah, this is just wonderful. <laughs> Ooh, it is all about connection mm. and sensitivity, and you were in the right place at the right time. And the word komatua is a Māori elder who has a, a lot of wisdom. Yes, so uh, because you mentioned the name before, and... Often we get people from overseas listening to the program. Yes. So I'm, I'm just wanting to 
let them understand. Yeah, so Richard, this is, it's embedded in you. The whole, you've been involved with growing and organics and just how's organics coming along at the moment? Well, we encourage all our community gardens to take a, an organic approach to growing. We don't want to be in a position to demand that. We just provide some workshops and some learning opportunities for people to take that pathway, if you wish. Not all people do. Some community gardens actually do some spraying, which we're not very happy about. And we make them aware of the fact that what they might be doing damage to not only to the land, but also to personal health. Yes. But we do have some gardens that are... We have one Papatunuku Marae Garden in Mangari, which is affiliated with the Maori Organic Certification Scheme. And many of the other gardens follow an organic certification guideline in terms of actually applications. That's encouraging. And most people are not aligned anymore to, you know, the spray regime, the industrial model of horticulture, agriculture. You know, they want to want to be pure, they want to be fresh and they want natural food to come out of the ground I hear you because I come from home I drive into the city I do have a tree planting regime to, to take in my ecological footprint into consideration but when I come into the city I, I realise that I'm having to eat factory food or industrial food but often I'll bring my own food from home so that I don't have to go that path because I want to have good, tasty sustenance. And mm. so this is also a, a big challenge for people coming into cities. And I trust in days to come, you know, we do have farmers' markets in the cities, but that I'll be able to really source good quality kai food and that'll be tasty and fulfill my needs for the day before I return home but it is it's a dichotomy between factory farming and industrial farming and home gardening or in this case community gardening is quite large in many ways isn't it we want to see community gardens become the norm again in Auckland this is what we would wish for the future but you know in order to realise that goal we probably need to grow Uh, we need more people doing what we're doing supporting people training people i think we ran 72 workshops and working bees in the six month period from july last year to december so we're pretty active out there we scope the whole of auckland we've got gardens up as far as silverdale we've got them out as far as ranui in the west howick in the east and down to tuakau in the south so it's pretty dynamic and We've got Thomas Pacific Gardens, we've got Free Pick Gardens, all different styles, different approaches to gardens. So some of them are community gardens, some of them are a mix of allotment and community gardens. There's a whole raft of different what we term models out there. So that's about what people want to do, what choices they want to make. Some are closed community gardens, some are open to the public. Some have volunteers in total actually managing them. Others have people in part-paid position. We say those that are actually generally within a, have a part-paid person employed, they actually will sustain, those gardens will be sustained more so than perhaps the voluntary base. The voluntary base can work, but ultimately people come and go, people move. And what we've found out in the last few years is because of the housing crisis in Auckland, 
There's a huge movement of people, particularly in South Auckland. A lot of South Auckland people are moving to Papakura or to Pukeko or even going down to live in Huntley because they can't afford to live in Auckland. They can't afford the rent in Otara in Mangere where they've lived for generations. So that's a big factor in terms of our participation. We're losing our participation base because people are flying out, going further south, or they're they're moving in together. So instead of five people in a house, there's now 15 or whatever. Yes. So these these are some of the big issues that are having an impact on our community garden engagement. Very much. Sue Kedgley in her interview also mentioned that hospitals used to be or used to have their own gardens. This is way back. You know, we we may be talking 80 years ago that they could get their own, source their own food for hospitals by having their own garden. Well, that's a smart move. And I even interviewed Janice Priest about five weeks ago. And she said that most of the hospitals throughout New Zealand are situated on land donated by the Māori people to the government so that even the so-called tohunga could come in and help administer to improve the health of Māori people who are in hospitals. So there's, there's a lot of things that we... I'm only just learning about how the, the food is produced for hospitals and, of course, with... We're talking health now, mm. and I'm learning a lot. All I can say, and we just need to find we need to find a place to grow more food. Though we do have one garden operating at a hospital, it's North Shore Hospital, the Diabetes Service Centre. It's just a what we term a free pick garden. So there's about three or four garden beds, just quite tiny, quite small, just out the front of the entranceway. So all the diabetes clients who come in to have their eyes checked and assessments made, re-diabetes and obesity, have the opportunity to pick some shives or pick some coriander or or something like that when they leave. So it's it's just one way of actually promoting healthy food, healthy kind, in a very small way. You know, it's obviously not supplying the hospital, but it's just promoting good good health and an organic approach to to growing food. See, Auckland Prison, Parimarima, They've got gardens too, but it's a difficult one solely because they're not (laughs) too sure if the inmates can be trusted, which is a great pity because then they could grow their own food for the prison and they would have far healthier inmates that when they do leave because there's a, a lot of documented evidence. If we are eating good quality food, our brain and our dendrites are going to have... The, the molecules or the vitamins and minerals required for critical thinking. And I know that in a lot of depressed areas where people are not getting the best food, the children are starving their minds or their brains of sustenance as well. I just uh, relate to my experience working in South Auckland. Some of the schools in there, the children come to school with no footwear, limited clothing, and even in the middle of winter, they have breakfast programs and lunch programs for the kids, and one school particularly I won't name, but they uh, support meals for about, I think, nearly two-thirds of the school. So, you know, what we term a high-health-deprived sort of population, 
very difficult bubble during the areas where we have a little small garden within the school. They have had a, a larger garden in the past, but they're you know encouraging the parents to see what can be done on a backyard garden scale within the school. Imperative. Yeah. So this is uh, really critical to to change things rather than. As we often see, populations go to the takeaway. They have their takeaways, all the fatty, sugary food, and then they wash it down with, Coke. you know, whatever. <laughs> well, trans, trans fats are a huge problem. I mean, even now, a plate of fish and chips mm. is a plate of free radicals. And so you can only have fish and chips as a treat, mm. not as something you have three times a week. And... I know that lots of kiddies don't or are unable to concentrate. They can't concentrate because the foods that they're eating, white flour products, are not sustaining them at all or even regenerating their health. And so, again, getting these greens in, imperative. One thing, one thing we do is we also, within the Diabetes Project Trust that overarches this initiative, we have dietitians and nutritionists. A good example was last week at the Balmoral Mandir Temple, and just uh, local here, not far away from here. Which temple, then? The Paracha Mandir Temple in Balmoral Road. Oh, it's the Hindu temple? Yeah, the big white one, yes. the white dome. Yes. We started a community garden there about 18 months ago at the back of the car park on land that the Mandir, the, the temple, owned. And last week on Wednesday, we ran a cooking class for about 60 elders, not just Indian actually, we had also Asian elders involved. And a lot of the product we actually came from the garden that was used by our dietitians to prep. We had all the, many of the elders preparing the food. This is in the kitchen beneath the temple. And then they got to eat and samples of that food and they had a sumptuous lunch afterwards. So it was sort of a really a great example of garden to plate. So I guess that's one of the strengths of the organisation I work for is that we can cover from the growing right through to the eating. Really, really important. I I know what you're doing, Richard. I've always had a... People don't know that I applied for the same job (laughs) that you you applied for. And you were the right man for it. I had to end up, and I'm still there, working at a holiday park. Which does have its benefits, I might add. Well, it's a pretty unique role, um, but it's not just one person. I have a team of two facilitators. One facilitator, Harry, he works in South Auckland. He covers all 30 community gardens in South Auckland. I have Homer, who's been with me since almost day one. That's not Simpson Homer, by the way. It's uh, Homer Shoe, his name is. And he uh, supports community gardens in West Auckland and over the North Shore. My territory is pretty much central Auckland and east Auckland, so that's we, that's how we share the load. But we could be doing much more, much more, if we uh, had greater resources. But, you know, we're, we're happy where we are. We're happy with what we've done. Uh, I think our outreach is pretty substantial. But the demand is happening all the time. We've got an African garden out at near Kimu, where Rwandian and people from that part of Africa are actually gardening on some leased land, so we support just starting. That's a fairly new garden where we've come in to support them. 
got Riverside Community Garden, which is over on the eastern side of Oto. That's another one. And as I mentioned, I've got this new proposal by this Tongan community and Pam Muir. They want to find land because they really want to do some gardening as well. So it's all happening, you know, and we we managed to, to reach out and connect with these people, but we could do so much more if we perhaps had greater resources, including here at the human resource. But I guess we partner, this, our strength is actually partnership. It's about partnership with all the the range of different organisations. So often with one project, I might be working with five different entities. And that's a challenge. That is a challenge doing that, but it's actually very rewarding sharing all that effort. You know, So we might be working with the Red Cross one week. We might be working with Ecomatis Trust the next week on, on a project and so forth. So well, I think we can do what we currently do because of our connections, our relationships. It's all about building those relationships and not just building them but to keep, keep working on those relationships because those relationships need to be enhanced and yes, and they, they fluctuate yeah. and yeah. it's a bit like the recordings here. You know, they, they wavelengths. see wavelengths go up and down because <laughs> people's needs change. People come and go. So you're often working with a range of different people and that's the case with all working with our funder, one of our funders, Auckland Council. They, you know, have a huge change in the dynamics of the team that actually you're working with. So often the strong relationships you build, you have to start again and work with somebody new. Yes. So that's all good. It's all very interesting and uh, it's uh, it's all about people, you know. It's all about people and, and food and what they want to do. I'm speaking with Richard Mayne. He's the project manager for Diabetes Project Trust on Gardens for Health here in Auckland, putting in cooperative community gardens. And the website is dpt.org.nz, dpt.org.nz. Well, we all share the same breath, and that's powerful, powerful statement because... If we didn't have breath, well, we know the story there. And so you've got all these different races and all these different cultures. The intent with everybody is to grow food and find ways in which to do it. And so you must find some very delightful people. Virtually everyone's delightful in a certain way. I think, Tim, the, the thing that's in a community garden setting, people are... Feel, they feel relaxed. They feel it's a, it's a neutral environment. There's there's not often aggression or any ex- extreme sort of views. Uh, people are there because they're they're on the same page. You know, they have the same belief. They have the same concern with the why they are there for. In fact, uh, Tim, it's actually much more than just growing food. It is very much about the socialisation, the mental health, well-being, particularly. And so one way of actually enhancing the environment, because we are sequestering carbon into the soil through our composting and through yes. our growing of our trees, you know, orchards or whatever it might be. So there are multiple benefits for what we're doing over and above the core focus of growing good kai. Yes, um, 
I mentioned to you there's a Joni Mitchell song yes. and we've got to get back to the garden and, oh. and there's many different people have sung that song and just yesterday I was with a, a friend who's got banana palms growing in their garden and she's got so much compost and I walked in among the palms and, and the different trees where it was a year ago it was a nearly a blank slate mm. and now I just felt totally I mean really I, I was in an oasis and it's full of oxygen it's, it's good, really good place for us to breathe that's and true we feel better about ourselves and our community Yes, well, you mentioned mental health. I uh, run into this policeman fairly regularly uh, who walks the beat and does the beat on Queen Street, and I ask him, I said, well, how's it going? And he says, oh, it's tough. And I said, well, oh, what's the greatest challenge? And he said, mental health. Mm. And I thought, mental health in New Zealand? I can't work this one out. And he said, yes. And again, so what we've got to do is get people working and playing together because when you do work in a garden there's also a lot of camaraderie there's lots of laughter and there's joking storytelling it's a wonderful place we actually work with about five six mental health providers and i must say personally if i'm involved with actually delivering a workshop with those people i derive the most satisfaction actually seeing the delight on their faces the smiles the changes in their focus and I've always been adamant that uh, for those who do have mental health issues, the benefits of actually connecting with Papatraduka, with Mother Earth is actually very powerful and it's uh, it's very healing for those people. Well, very much so because Māori have that extra extension of whakapapa mm. and following their lineage from their mother's navel back to their grandmother and then their great-grandmother and their great-great-grandmother all the way back finally to their particular canoe or waka that came to these shores supposedly 800 years ago and going back to the mystical place Hawaiki and that obviously is embedded somewhere in Papatuanuku, Mother Earth. So they have that connection anyway that we, Pākehā and white people, don't seem to have or we don't acknowledge it. It's interesting. My roots are somewhat uh, connected with the soil, with the land, because my forefathers came from Scotland in 1861 from a place called Kirkmichael, and they particular gentleman came to Otago to mine the gold fields but he was a farmer in Scotland and he started farming and growing seedlings and had a nursery in North Otago so I've had a long history of connection with my grandfather and my father and I continue to have my hands deeply planted in the soil it's good for your own personal health but also I can share my experiences and my knowledge with other people so that's what really keeps me ticking along you know <laughs> yes now you mentioned orchards too there are areas on the boundaries or something to put trees in yes some larger sites have got the capacity to grow some fruit trees of course the century garden at unitech uh, has a food forest that was one of the first initiated back in 1999 with, with our students there there is another proposal on Greyland that we're currently considering at the moment for a quite a large-scale food forest orchard. That'll probably take some time, but there's been 
some approval or some guidelines, positive comments from the council about that. So we see more of that happening. But we do need, you know, you need land. You need a good, good amount of land for that to happen. How about the churches? Because there's a lot of the churches have land. Is there opportunity there? I think there's always been opportunity and some of them have some very good gardens in South Auckland. Some of the Pacific population, particularly the Tongans. The Tongans, I regard, are not uh, being having a negative view in terms of other Pacific populations, but the Tongans are very prominently active with community gardening. We've got two huge gardens, one in Papakura and one in West Pukekohe. If I just talk about quickly about the one in West Pukekohe, about nine years ago it was started off. It's on council land, actually. And you could look either north, south, east, west, and there would be no housing to be seen on the horizon. Well, if I was to go out there today, in fact, my colleague is already out there today on that site. And there's now about 500 houses within the boundary. Okay. So it's just being, the whole area is being swamped by housing development, property development. Urban expansion. So this is a big issue. You know, we, we are a green city. There's no doubt about that, but we've got to preserve our best soils, and some of our best soils are in Pukkoi. Too right, volcanic soil. Volcanic silk clay loam soils are some of the best in the world for growing a wide range of crops. We're losing a lot of those soils. So every opportunity I get, I try and talk to people, particularly in council planning and the like, strategists and the like, to see what we can do. But it's a hard road because... You're up against the developers. That's it. You're up against big men, money, big dollars. Yes, always. Sadly, yes. But uh, these, just going back to these two uh, Tongan groups, you know, one group is about 180, including some churches and some rugby teams and rugby league teams, all all mucking in. That's good. And another group, actually, I just harvested their camera on Saturday, and uh, they're also on council land in Papakura. And they've got about uh, 80 to 90 people in that garden. And we're talking about, we're not talking about just the adults. We're talking about children, yes. two-year-olds, five-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds. We're talking about grannies and grandfathers. We're talking about 70 and 80-year-olds, everybody there. And when you go to their garden and they're harvesting and working in the garden, they sing in the garden. They sing and they sing their their songs from their churches and it's actually very oh, inspirational quite yes. quite a delight yeah that's right just the love of doing it and they'd, they'd be doing it for God they yes. think they're back in the garden again well they think they're back in uh, Tonga or yes. somewhere or where, wherever on upon their plantations yes and they're growing their, their cultural crop which is kumara and taro now the kumara there's the orange kumara and then there's the, the one that the purple on the inside, and then yes. there's white on one of the white on the outside. Is there? There's about seven different varieties that yep. we know that are cultivated here in Auckland, and the camera shoots are generally available is around October, November from various suppliers, and uh, we we helped that with that distribution to the wider community. And we also have Hawaiian kumara, so... Is that the blue one? That's more sort of like a white, but it has sort of purple streaks within it, inside it. I and see. And then, of course, there's the local one, which is the... From Mount Albert, I can't recall the name of it now. 
Because I was in Kauai, living in Kauai, and mm. we used to have a blue kumara. Oh, boy. It fascinated me having blue on the plate. So I think it's been a good season for kumara because it's been extended summer into autumn, plenty of sun, bit of moisture just in the last couple of weeks. So the harvest has been good. And there's people, some of these people will be, because they planted late, they planted in you know, late November, early December, they'll, they'll still be looking to harvest next month. So it's a very uh, key time of the year, particularly for the Pacific population and their Kumara harvest. Is there a harvest celebration? Because in years gone by, once the harvest came in, it was a special occasion. I mean, even just farmers once upon a time bringing in the hay or insulage, mm. you'd have, because it was a cooperative you know, farmers would come and help each other. Is there any particular harvest celebration that they have? Uh, well, actually, uh, I missed the celebration on Saturday. <laughs> I should have been there. But I'm, I'm so committed five days a week, I just have to have my own downtime. So this particular population of Papakura did invite me to the harvest and they would have had a considerable celebration. They would have had dignitaries there. There would have been some speeches and there would be some sharing of some of the crops. So some of the, the majority of the crop goes to the families, of course. In some cases, some of the crop in other locations will actually be sold at the farmer's market. And the third uh, aspect of some of the focus in terms of a micro-enterprise is some of the product will actually be gifted to uh, food banks or to needy families. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. It's fantastic. So, you know, people are very conscious about trying to generate some sort of return from the site. Because often all these gardens have some costs. They may be minimal, but they do have some costs. And if they can generate some income in terms of social enterprise or micro-enterprise model, that's actually increasingly happening now in Auckland. Wonderful. Now, iwi land, the Māori land, are there much in the way of plots around here? I mean, down country and up country there is Māori land, but no doubt the hunger for land over the last 150, 200 years has minimalised the, the Māori land to be able to do a, a deal with and use. There's certainly some gardens around. Some have come and gone. Uh, probably the most recognisable one and the most active is Papatunuku Marae which is in on Centre Park in Mangari and that's been quite a dynamic example of uh, starting from a very small fragile base it's actually not on Maori land, it's actually on council land however the the, the key two drivers there have made uh, incredible progress and they've, you know uh, I, I guess some of the difficulty for with urban Maori has been to encourage their own people to come in to the garden and, or to come into to be involved with activities within the marae. But this, this has been a good example and uh, that, that garden is now... We all often say that gardens sometimes are merely surviving. We're in a position sometimes to support them moving from survival mode to thrive mode. So that's been a critical one, you know, and we see the Papatunuku... Marae example uh, is one that is now thriving for their their whanau, for their community. Yeah, wonderful, excellent. This is all this is all real food for thought, Richard. Really, really good. Now there was um, I like blue sky thinking. Uh, what sort of vision would you like to see happen 
across New Zealand, or let's start with Auckland first, because we as a human race have to come together. There's no two doubts about it. We have to, I still at heart believe in the great reconciliation of the human race mm. because any other options are too horrible to even think about. So we have to find you know, co- ways to resolve conflict. We have to find a way to work together. And um, as the, the Māori say, we've got to get in the waka and paddle in the same direction at once. Well, I think we're just, we're just going to grow food locally. And I term that local war. We need to be local wars. And we need to be doing it organically or veganically because the planet will support more of the population for longer, for, for better, if we have a, a more vegetarian, veganic approach to growing food. I'm not saying we eliminate uh, meat altogether, but the, the statistics and the research does tell us that a more vegan or vegetarian approach to growing what our food needs is actually going to be more sustainable for the planet. It costs a lot less, you know, there's a lot less inputs. But I think, you know, just going back to being local wars, you know, we need... Uh, I think the Auckland model to, to, to perhaps be duplicated throughout the country. And we could have a national network of uh, community gardens, and there currently is not a national network as such. There is some some people who are trying to build that capacity, but I'd like to see it go national. Not necessarily, you know, the gardens for the model. It could be, but it could be something else. But I think that's the, the way to go because... You see in large cities of the world, particularly London, you know, New York, or wherever it happens to be, Vancouver. Los Angeles. They, yeah, they have incredible networks that are integrated into the, the life force of the community, really. And, uh, you know, they're well supported by the, the councils or the, or the governments or, or they get sponsorship, you know, significant sponsorship. That'll come. It'll, it'll come because the demand is coming from grassroots. It's coming up from the ground, you know. It's coming up from the community, from the neighbourhoods, from each household. And that's what people are demanding. So, uh, you know, we we always encourage the top-down support, but the grassroots, uh, you know, rising from the ground is the, is the powerful force that will be sustained, I think. I'm definitely a grassroots person, and I got goosebumps when you started mentioning those other cities. Because when I went, first went to Los Angeles, I happened to go down to Santa Monica and towards Venice, and Venice is a profound place. And all I could see was big sweet corn and sunflowers. They got the sunflowers out. And they were, this garden was for a couple of kilometres long, and people were just happy gardening. And they just walk out of the apartment across the road and start growing and as you say grassroots is it grassroots is actually how we're going to be able to reclaim our planet too but we also need those spaces uh, spaces to be places where people can come and just dwell and be be either on their own or be together because those places are healing spaces you know and urban life is fast and furious and uh you know, a lot of challenges for people living in, particularly in big cities like Auckland, the traffic is just one. It's uh, pretty horrendous at times, but, you know, a community garden can be very tranquil, you know. It's not just about growing food. There's flowers in the garden. There's flowers for bees and pollinators and the like, and there's the centre plants in the garden. So it's a, it's a very uplifting environment. So it's uh, much more, as I said, than just the growing of food. 
Yeah, I agree. Going from Frankfurt Airport into Frankfurt, you see all these allotments behind all the houses uh, and they're, they're quite large and the Germans are right into it and I've seen it up in Russia too and I was in the Caucasus some years ago we were following up on the Ringing Cedar or Anastasia books and boy they're into it as well and so New Zealanders here's an opportunity we were once very close to the land and we've got more and more distant as we put air condition into our house and also put tinted windows on our buildings we don't have that connection to the land and as you say Richard if, we, if we're not out there in touch with the land and um, being a grassroots person then this is something we have to get away from or this is something we have to really get together on or get our act together on because nature is where we spring from sure I was just going to say, for some years we've been trying to encourage vertical gardens in the uh, CBD. You, ver- vertical gardens. Vertical gardens. So that's gardens in high rise. Now, I was in Tokyo about three years ago, and Tokyo has some awesome gardens that are up to 15 stories high. They're growing microgreens, they're growing all sorts of, they've got all sorts of uh, food growing, not just in apartments, but within blocks you would think might be just car parks but they're actually growing food in those and uh, that's an opportunity that I think uh, Auckland can look at Um, but of course the the limiting factor is one of the engineering capacity capacity of the buildings to hold that extra weight of soil and water etc so we do have some ornamental gardens in the CBD on high rise buildings but very limited in terms of actually uh, food production so we have over 50,000 people living in the CBD of Auckland now that's likely to grow there's a lot of apartments yes yes and yes a lot of those people will eat out in the cafes and bars and restaurants and the hotels but uh, there will also be a popular percentage of that population who want to grow food so I think you know we're trying to encourage the council to Look at those opportunities, uh, build them into the plans of new buildings, new apartment blocks. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so much you can grow, even in a small space. Even if it's just herbs for culinary and medicinal purposes, that's that's sometimes more than enough for some people. Very true. So we need somebody in New Zealand to be the champion to have a network of community gardens over New Zealand. So that's what we're looking for. We could do, yes. That's, I think, really important. Yes. If Peter Blake was alive today, I'm sure he would be an honorary one. Or even dear Sir Edmund Hillary had he been 40 years younger. I'm sure there's people out there that would like to take up the challenge. Very good, yeah. Well, and, and support what we, we and others, many others are doing. Yeah, it is. And I thank you, thank you, thank you, Richard. This is wonderful. And the website is dpt.org.nz. Correct. Diabetes Project Trust, Gardens for Health Initiative. We also have a Facebook page, uh, which you can check out us on the Diabetes Project Trust page. Excellent. Oh, fantastic. Well, I feel really regenerated from that, and that's a a good word to use as well. Richard? Thank you for taking time to leave the garden, to come into the 
the city <laughs> into a studio and share with our expanding audience. It's a pleasure as always to be with you, Tim, and uh, just encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. You're doing some really positive work for the community at large and for, for the country. Thank and you. for your for your for your listeners. Thank you, Richard. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Thank you, Tim. Bye. That was Richard Maine, and yes, New Zealand can do it. We can, if we wish to, get involved at a local level. Just if you haven't got any land on your section or if you're in an apartment, go and talk to somebody who may have some and see what sort of deal you can do with them because I know it's possible. I'm doing that at the moment myself. I live on a sort of a cliff and I'm unable really to put a garden together. I've got some friends just up the road, keen on organics, and I've got the use of land there now, and I have turned it into a wonderful garden. And I gladly share my food with them too. May I suggest you do a web search for Community Gardens New Zealand. You will find that EcoFind Discover Pure New Zealand will show up a page based on community gardens. Check that out. It's really interesting. Community gardens are typically owned by a trust, organisation or local government and run as not-for-profit ventures. They are managed and maintained by the gardeners themselves and provide fresh produce and plants as well as satisfying labour and a sense of community and connection to the environment. So as I said, do a web search and you'll find a good number of community gardens not mentioned here that are up and down the country where people have come together and decided to work and play and enjoy, grow, harvest and have fantastic recipes to enjoy a harvest feast. At the end of the season, bearing in mind that you're still continuing to plant food and grow food all through the year, so you are sustainably regenerating food all year round so that you can be healthy and happy. Check it out because this is a way forward for those who may not have the land to grow themselves. Okay, kia ora. Decide to network. Use every letter you write, every conversation you have, every meeting you attend, every email you send, and remember even Facebook. To tweet and to express your fundamental beliefs and dreams. Affirm to others the vision of the world you want. Network through thought. Network through action. Network through love. Network through the spirit. You are the center of a network. You are the center of the world. You are a free, immensely powerful source of life and goodness. Affirm it. Spread it. Radiate it. Think day and night about it. And you will see a miracle happen. The greatness of your own life in a world of big powers, media and monopolies. But of 7.7 billion individuals, networking is the new freedom, the new democracy, a new transparency, and a new form of wholeness and happiness. This originated by Dr. Robert Muller, Chancellor of the World Peace University, in Costa Rica, Central America. I invite you to be able to come to greenplanetfm.com where we have over 400 interviews in our database which you can readily download and listen to. 
to be able to inspire yourself to become the change you want to see in the world. And become involved in caring for your children and grandchildren's future. We are also on Facebook, on Green Planet FM and OurPlanet.org. Please come and love us. This is Tim Lynch. And Lisa Eyre. And Liz Gunn. In the spirit of Aroha, wishing you a wonderful week. We look forward to being with you next week. I say kia kaha and haere ra.